Welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. Here are your hosts, Casey Woolley and Matthew Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Beers and Ears podcast. My name is Matt, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful... Casey Woolley, and I am proud to be part of your world. Oh, I love it. You're much better at the the pun intros, and I need to work on my, like... Uh, a fun intros. Yeah, you're not. I don't know. I I, I figured you'd, you'd catch on at some point, but you're right. I'm I'm much better at at figuring out a way to work the theme of our episode into our intro. Man, come on, get on it, man. It's been almost a year now. Seriously. Say what? This is episode 99. <laughs> uh, so. uh, is it 99? Oh my goodness! Is it really 99? Is that what we're recording tonight? No, it's not. Maybe? I think it's 96. Oh, 96. Oh. Yeah, 96. I'm like, I don't think we're at 99 quite yet. Holy smokes! We're almost I'll, there. I'll work on I'll work on my intros. <laughs> All right, that, that's good for the promise for the new year. I appreciate it. Well, here's what we're doing tonight, folks. In case you can't tell, we are reviewing The Little Mermaid, the 1989 film by Walt Disney, um, hearkened by many to be uh, along with the Rescuers, or was it the Rescuers Down Under? Under I can't remember. Um, to be kind of the resurgence of Disney animation. Uh, specifically, a lot of people say A Little Mermaid is what saved Walt Disney Animation. Uh, again, came out in 1989 uh, on a $40 million budget with a box office of $233 million. And again, that's at the time. That's not, you know, obviously the inflated numbers for 2021. That's, but... that's 1989 money. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, voiced by uh, um, Jody Benson. Um, and I, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's one of those movies that is, I mean, it's up there in terms of iconic. I mean, it, it is, it is what made Disney of the eighties and nineties and, and continues to be a huge part of our world. No, that time, no pun intended, but reality. <laughs> how, how many times are we going to do part of our world or uh, puns in there in this episode? Start the clock. <laughs> but I, I think the one year, I don't think it was necessarily Rescuers that was the one, while well, Rescuers was the one after this one, really great mouse detective in 1986, which was done by the same people, Clements and Musker, who we've talked about them on this show. They are Aladdin. They are Hercules, uh, 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 princess and the frog Moana. So, I mean, these, these people are, have, these two guys have, have done very, very well. So great mouse detective they did in 1986 and was pretty well received but no, then... no, no, no! It is the Little Mermaid and Rescuers Honor. I mean, don't get me wrong; Great Mouse Detective was was good, but the Little Mermaid is what is considered the start of the Disney Renaissance, followed by Rescuers Down Under. Well, I mean, if Rescuers Down Under follows it, but that's really Rescuers Down Under is the only one out of this bunch of the '90s that really didn't take off. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I think I can. What I'm referring to is is in terms of what is officially recognized as the Renaissance period. Because, you know, a period from 1989 to 1989 in which the Walt Disney feature animation returned to producing critically and commercially successful animated films that were mostly based on well-known stories. The resurgence allowed Disney... I think what it is, is it's, it's Little Mermaid kind of is what sparked it because that's what allowed them to really become back and become a powerhouse again. Um, oh, the, the, absolutely. That, I think that's kind of what I'm referring to. I, I, I personally, yeah, I mean, the, Great Mouse Detective, but <clears throat> Great Mouse Detective is a good one. Um, that's a, it's, it, I, I don't want to come out and be like, oh my gosh, best movie, run out and watch it right now, but it, it's good. I would, I would definitely watch it. Anyway, um, this is not a Great Mouse Detective or a Rescuers Down Under podcast, as you know, 
maybe you want it to be. I don't know. But we're talking Little Mermaid today. Um, but you're right. Like this is the movie that that, um, you know, Disney for really after Walt's death. And I believe was Jungle Book the last one he worked on. Am I right about that? That is correct. Yeah. Yep. So really since then, there was just I mean, there's still good movies that come out of there. I mean, Winnie the Pooh comes out of there and Robin Hood's got a, you know, cult following and same with like Aristocats, same thing. Um, but really not a whole lot of stuff comes out of that era and the films were just kind of eh. And uh, so, I mean, this movie, yeah, absolutely catapults the Disney company and starts this run of films that has so much staying power even today. Have you seen the, I know you're not a documentary guy, but have you seen the documentary Waking Sleeping Beauty? I have not. So this was made back in 2010 and it, in fact, focuses specifically on this era of the 1980s right on through like the early 1990s which was basically that time period when at at a time during the early 80s Walt Disney Animation was expected to shut down like they they were they were shoved literally you know uh, into a garage basically or basically like a a factory not even a factory a warehouse they were shoved there and um, it was really Roy E. Disney, who is um, Roy's son, Walt's nephew. He basically said, no, this is what the heartbeat of our company is. And he kind of elicited a campaign during that time to, to basically save Disney. And, and that's kind of where all this is. I mean, I really do re- recommend if you've not seen it, and obviously you haven't, this, this talks about Little Mermaid. It talks about all this stuff, all the politics that was going on. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who ended up later on going over to find founding uh, DreamWorks, he was at Disney at the time. So, like, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on, and it really does kick off a Little Mermaid. So that's why Little Mermaid is, in so many ways, like so important. Like, it's up there importance as just as important as Snow White and the Seven Dwarves when it comes to the history of the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And I mean, definitely a wildly popular Ariel being a wildly popular character. Yeah. Um, I mean, she comes up, you know, with most movies, you know, we have a Disney store background. So with most movies and even the big name ones, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, play, uh, movies like that, they come out every so often with something where it's like, OK, this is the summer of uh, Beauty and the Beast. So we've got to run a Beauty and the Beast stuff. Uh, you know, this is the summer of. Uh, Aladdin. So we got Aladdin stuff. We got Ariel and Little Mermaid and all that stuff. We got that stuff every single summer, every single year. We got Little Mermaid things. Yeah. I would say of the 12 princesses. So for those of you who don't know, there are 12 official Disney princesses who have been coordinated. We've mentioned that a couple of times on this podcast coordinated by, by the Disney store that run everywhere from Snow White all the way through Moana. I would say of the 12, um, you know, and of the core princesses, uh, Ariel, Belle, Cinderella are probably your core. We've always got stuff in of them. Everybody else. I mean, snow is, is usually around Halloween time. Sleeping Beauty. I mean, there was a period there when I, for Aurora, for a period when I was working for the Disney store, we didn't have anything Aurora. Even the dress was like minimal. It was like a hot pink dress. It was really weird looking. Yeah, um, that didn't start coming out until they know, celebrated then, a 60th anniversary. And that's when we yeah, had some stuff in. Yeah. 
but you know, Jasmine, Aladdin stuff kind of hit or miss. It depends. There's always seems to be like, like you said, it's like a, like a routine, but the three cores were always Belle, Cinderella, and, and, and of course, Ariel. And you're right. Ariel was always themed around. We would start to get it right around spring and it would last right through fall because she, you know, being a swimming princess, uh, you know, hot, out hot outside and and people want to go swimming so a lot of swimwear was themed around her toys so yeah she's very much a popular princess and you know you've mentioned on the podcast before you know if you think about when she came out in 1989 many millennials ourselves included you know were were coming of age in that they were like in that you know six to 12 year old range and so you think about specifically girls but of course guys too could have could have liked her but a lot of little girls fell love excuse me fell in love with ariel during that time and so now as they've gotten older they resonate with her a little bit more um even more so than when they were the little girl you know no absolutely and and, um, and that's yeah and that's shown in the product. I mean, it's not just for little girls that we get that 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 aerial stuff. We get stuff for adults. And I, I remember a ton of adults coming in and uh, and buying up aerial stuff like that's that's what they wanted. Do you remember? I have a anecdotal story here. Uh, do you remember the giant Sebastian pool float that we got? Ah, it's so funny as you were talking about the product. That is literally the thing that popped in my head was the pool float of Sebastian. Like that was the thing that I remember because it was all that oh my Disney adult stuff. Yeah. So for the listeners, I'm sure you can find a picture of it online if you just Google Sebastian pool float. But this was an adult sized pool float, so mm-hmm. an adult human could comfortably fit on this. And so of course. Um, uh, Chris, our our boss at the time says, you know, Matt, we should blow one of these up to, you know, give (laughs) people the, the vibe of, of how, um, you know, how big it is and what it is, you know, in a box, it's hard to see like what a pool float is and how big it is. I was like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, there, there's an air pump somewhere, you know, they gave it to us, but I don't know where it is. And okay. Me being the, um, musician that I am. Um, I have, you know, I, I've been doing breathing and, and things like that all my life. Oh, and I was like, ah, no, no, no. Blow that thing up. Oh, I, man. I got this, Chris. Oh, no. I got this. And, and Patty, um, our, our other assistant manager and a bunch of other people said the same thing. Like, Matt, you're, you can just try to find the airport. No, 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 no. I got like 10 minutes in and I'm like, holy cow, I am winded. But I have said no, no, no to so many people that I have to blow this thing up. <laughs> oh, my God. So, oh, my gosh, Matt. What were you thinking? Okay, so there's a new song out that's uh, on TikTok right now. Nate was playing it for me last night. And, 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 and it's just this woman going, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what's going through my head right now as you're saying that. And you better find that when you edit this episode because that would be perfect for this episode. That's what's going through. I, was, I cannot believe. Did you finally find the pump, though? Oh, no. I, I blew up the entire thing. I was just did very it, winded at it, the Didn't it get a hole in it, though? I don't remember what happened to it. I mean, I'm sure it did because, of course, you know, once you blow something like that, guess play with it and bounce on it. And I jump know we on tried and... to hang it from the ceiling or something, didn't we? We tried to like, I don't know. I just remember. We had, we I remember had tons it was out. of ideas. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, so it, if if <laughs> hey, if anyone has a one of those Sebastian pool floats, please uh, post a picture of it and tag us in it because uh, that would be awesome. I think there was a flounder one as well. So if you have the flounder uh, one, flounder tag us as smaller. well. I think flounder was smaller, and then there were like. There was like a like seagull rings or something that you could throw onto a seagull or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, I just remember. It, I remember those seagull rings. We had hundreds of them because they went clearance and we clearanced them for like ninety nine cents. They were they were floating coasters. And That's what they were. I think I think the problem is with those floating coasters is in theory it sounds like a good idea, <laughs> but like in actual practice, I don't think those things actually work. Not so much. No. All right, so let's talk about the movie itself. I mean, considering we're halfway through our episode and we haven't even gotten into the movie itself yet. And we've talked so, mostly about pool floats. <laughs> yep. So the movie itself is set in the obviously fictitious Kingdom of Atlantica, which is a fantasy kingdom near the coast of Norway in the Atlantic Ocean. And Ariel is a 16-year-old mermaid who, if I don't, Please don't take offense to this world. I think she's just an annoying teenager. Uh, that said, um, she is not happy with her life. And so she spends a good time of her her time with Flounder, her best friend. And they collect things and call them the inaccurate names because of uh, the bird, Scuttle, who thinks that he knows everything about human life when in reality he does not. Oh, oh. Look at this. Wow. This is special. This is very, very unusual. What? What is it? It's a dingle hopper. Um, and she just she she is just completely entranced with the human world, um, despite the fact that her dad has warned her to stay away from the surface because it's dangerous. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the, the gist of it. Uh, let's do kind of our our normal thing here, real quick. Um, start with favorite parts, Matt. So let, let me let me pause here. And I know I've said this on the pod, but you, you said, you know, I think she's an annoying teenager and that's because she is. And but this is the <laughs> movie that you can tell how old someone is, because when you're 16, you're like, yeah, nobody can tell you what to do. You you tell your dad. And then I watched this movie and I was like 28 and a dad. And I'm like, you listen to your dad. You're just 16. Like, so you can you know when you're getting old, when when this is the the who you're connecting with in this movie. But anyway, um, I mean, we talked about it just in our top 10 sidekick song, like, uh, you know, a couple episodes back. I really love Sebastian. I've always loved Sebastian. I mean, we had a, oh, I wish I could remember what, what year it was like Disney world's, um, Disney world's 25th anniversary CD. I think it was, um, and uh-huh. it had under the sea on there. And I listened to that a lot. Um, I saw this movie in theaters when it was on a re-release. Cause obviously I was, not alive in 1989, but I believe I saw it on a re-release <laughs> because my sister was having a birthday party and I needed to be out of the house because I was annoying. Um, so I think it was me and my dad. See, went for to go me, see this. for me, I saw this. I didn't see it at the theater. Is it stereotypical as it sound? I was a boy and it wasn't a boy movie as, as stupid as that sounds nowadays, but that's the reality of living, living in the 1980s. But I went to my cousin's a lot. My cousin Linda and her her daughter Elizabeth and Emily, who were my, my cousin, she was older than me, but my second cousins, which were her, her children, were like right around my age. So my brother and I would go to my cousins a lot. And she had this on VHS. 
we would watch this thing on a loop. Like I had this thing memorized for a long time this movie <laughs> because we would watch it on, you know, the, the, the good old fashioned Disney VHS loop. And it was consistently, you know, what's what I'm talking about. The one that smells like the vinyl and, um, oh, yeah. okay. and, and, and we would watch this thing consistently. It's probably the one really crazy Disney princess movie that we watched. And then of course, Beauty and the Beast came out a little bit later and we got that on our own VHS, but I watched this thing over over and over and over again um and i think i think that's here here's one of my theories on this i think that's one of the reasons why this movie also probably resonates more well, let me take that back i think there's a reason why little mermaid beauty and the beast aladdin pocahontas and lion king i say those five have such a stronghold on the millennial generation because they Disney knew exactly what they were doing. And with the, when they decided to put this stuff on VHS and they started that whole vaulting system, there's a, there's a video out there on YouTube that I recommend everybody watch about 30 minutes long that talks about the Disney vault and the history of the Disney vault and how it all works. I truly believe that that five, those five movies in conjunction with this Disney vault thing, and the technology and then of course millennials growing up during this time i think that's why these movies resonate with 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 millennials as much as they do because we all had them like we all had them on vhs no and absolutely i mean rewatched or at least you, you had at least again. one of them like oh, yeah yeah you, you maybe you didn't have all of those but you had at least one or two yep and you watched I them over and over again i i had i had um beauty and the beast i had aladdin I had Fox and the Hound. I didn't have Little Mermaid, but Elizabeth did. So, and, and Pocahontas, Jenna across the street did. So, like, those, and Lion King, strangely enough, Lion King, no one had. So, that one, I don't know why it resonates as much, but a lot of people did. And and it just, it's, I really do think that's part of it, is that, it, you know, technology and age of when you see these things plays a huge role, you know? Oh, absolutely. I also think that this is a new brand. This is the start of the new brand of Disney princess. You know, Mm -hmm. Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty are very much focused on like one thing and their characters are very one dimensional, whereas Ariel's got a little bit more depth to her. Now, don't get me wrong. Not to mention, too, that it's the first Disney princess we had in 30 years. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we went from Aurora to Ariel, 30 year span. Well, because Sleeping Beauty flopped so much that they kind yeah. of like in, in, at the time flopped. And so that was kind of like, well, we're staying away from princesses. And so I wonder if that was also a big part of this popularity is Disney was actually had built their brand on princesses. That's still a huge part of their brand. And just they had gone away from it for so long because of that one thing. And they just needed to like, I don't know, like think about it a little more and make a better princess and they would have been fine. I do agree with you, though, that this is the start of the new brand of princess, except I don't think, again, this is no pun intended in this at all. I just, this is Disney dipping their toe in the water. <laughs> I hate to Keep say them up, that man. One. Keep them up. Yeah, this is Disney dipping their toe, their fit in the water to see, all right, if we make the princess a little bit more headstrong than these other princesses that we've had, what kind of resonance do we get? Because we go from you know, Snow White, who's a helpless, you know, uh, helpless princess, Cinderella, who's again, waits for her prince, 
Aurora, who's waiting for her prince to wake her up, to Ariel, who's sixteen year old teenager who's really headstrong, to Belle, who is her own woman, to Jasmine, who's like, I don't need a man. I'm gonna pick who I want. And then you kind of start this upward trajectory of all the following princesses that kind of are all their own people. So I agree with you that this is definitely the start of that new brand, but I, Disney, I don't think realized exactly what they had. So they kind of were again, dipping their toe in the water. I would agree. And I also think, let me say this too. This is also the first Disney prince that is not just like, Hey, I'm a hot dude. Like, let me, this is a, a, a small thing that I noticed when I had to listen to kiss the girl 50 times a day in the Disney store. Prince Eric has a huge la, amount of self-control. La, 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 la. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, he literally Ariel is this, this, this very pretty girl is throwing herself at him. The mood is he's being told to kiss the girl and he's still like, you know, I kind of like, well, like need to know your name here. Like let's, let's not move too fast. Like he does not get enough credit for how much of a gentleman Prince Eric is. I just felt like that needed to be said. <laughs> I don't know if we have to necessarily give him credit for being a gentleman. I think it's just appropriate that Disney wrote what a gentleman should be in the movie. Yes. You know? like, yes. That's, that's good. Um, okay, so let's talk favorite parts. What is your overarching favorite part of the movie? Under the Sea, that whole sequence, and anything with Ursula in it. Th- those yeah. two things, I'm I'm huge fan of. Yeah, I agree. I, I And I've said this multiple times on the pod before. Ursula's um, uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls is literally like my soul anthem. If I was to ever do drag... I would be up there and I would sing Ursula's Poor Unfortunate Souls. Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl. And do I help them? Yes, indeed. And and I just, I, I absolutely love, I absolutely love it. It's, it's, I, I don't, besides, I think it's number two on our list of top 10 Disney villain songs, only, at, only after Scar's. Um, be prepared and, and man, that's close like we're splitting oh, hairs yeah there. we're really splitting hairs there I mean and Ursula is is you know a villain that you absolutely love to hate and when you think about Disney villains throughout history you know evil queen is kind of a boring villain but she's iconic right we've already said Maleficent's kind of a boring villain um, Lady Tremaine she's boring in my mind but I think Captain Hook is a pretty interesting villain, but really, when you think about it, Ursula, like, she brings it over the top. And and I think part of that is because of the way Pat Carroll plays her. And, and I mean, you cannot be... Pat Carroll has come back to, to voice Ursula in Disney Parks cameos um, and Fantasmic, the, when, 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 when they do the Fantasmic part with her. Pat Carroll is Ursula. Like, holy smokes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I don't want to belabor this point because we've talked about it now on on a couple episodes with our, you know, villains discussion with your brother and on our soul episode, shockingly. But this is also that five, you know, the five vi- movies there. And even I'll cut it down to the four. You, you've got iconic Disney villains that have not been upset in in terms of like uh new villains coming out they're like you know what this one's just better like it's scar and ursula i think if you talk to most disney fans would not have a problem 
whether they opinion wise rank them wherever. But if I were to walk up to any Disney fan and say Scar is the best villain and Ursula is number two or vice versa, I don't think any Disney person is like, what? You're out of your mind. And and Mm -hmm. so like they figured out that if you have a villain that people love to hate, that also plays into uh, uh, how good a movie can be. And you see him do it throughout this really. I mean, the whole run, it, it starts to taper off a little bit in the late uh, 90s but you're talking little mermaid has an iconic villain aladdin has an iconic villain lion king has a has an iconic villain beating the beast has an iconic villain like it, they, they figured out that they needed to get an engaging villain and man they nailed it in 1989 this is also one of the very few rides out of that time period too or one of the very few movies out of that time period that actually has a pretty compelling parks ride with it as well um journey under the sea uh in in magic kingdom is a pretty amazing ride or uh journey uh, journey, uh yeah i think it's uh, the amazing what do they call that it's the one in magic kingdom you know which one i'm talking about yeah i know what it's you're talking it. about I, when you, you think, think that it, one's like super engaging well think about it what else came out during that time period aladdin's got nothing I mean, it's got the med it's got the dumbo ripoff <laughs> exactly lion king's got a show there's no ride there's nothing for Pocahontas. There's nothing for Hercules. There's nothing for Beauty and the Beast other than a show. So when you think about that time period being as popular as it is, this is probably the, it's a dark ride. I mean, it's it's a Walt Disney dark ride. And is it an amazing ride? No, not at all. But it's a must do on my list every time I go. Every time I go, it's a must do. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still do this ride every time I go. Let, let, me, let me be very clear. Um, you know, sometimes it's the perfect ride for sometimes you don't want anything that's like super thrills. It yeah, usually doesn't you just have lay like back a, for about seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, you know? and and recap the story of Little Mermaid in seven minutes. Be like, oh yeah, I remember this moment. This is great. Um, but but yeah, you're right. Like, and that's really weird to think about that with how much staying power and how much popularity these movies have that they're really not represented in in terms of rides now in mm-hmm. i believe japan just opened a beauty and the beast ride like i want to say like three months ago um, i do take it back beauty and the beast has got enchanted t- tales with bell now which is kind of its own thing but it's not a ride yeah. it's just it's that's, a, that's more of a it's show a story. Which, it's, a, it's a story time yeah which is fine. Like I, I'm okay for interactive experiences as well. Cause I think Lion King, like again, festival of the Lion King, oh, is, I love festival of Lion is, King. is wonderful. But also would I also enjoy a Lion King dark ride? Yes. Would I Heck also yeah. enjoy my idea? Do you imagine a ride based on a Lion King where you are running through that stampede and you're riding through the stampede and all those things run up against you? Holy smokes. That would be amazing. Well, especially with the trackless ride systems, mm-hmm. like you could very easily and and you not just the dinosaur not, ride to that, <laughs> you know, not a horrible idea, to be honest with you. While I do like that dinosaur ride, um, I, I wouldn't hate that idea. But even Little Mermaid, I'm surprised that all they have is like, again, a little dark ride where you could do mm-hmm. some fun stuff there. So, um, but it, you know, we, so we clearly we, we both really like this movie, but I, I will say it's not necessarily like one of my top favorites. Oh, and, I agree. I mean, there's so many out there. I mean, I don't know. I think I think, it's the I think part of... of it is I I just I never connected with a 16 year old girl. 
that was just not something. So when I was when I saw it when I was young, I liked the movie. And when I'm older, I like the movie. But that's just not a character that I personally have ever connected with. I think that's why like something like Aladdin connected with me a whole lot more. Totally. Because I could just I just connected better to that Lion King. Same thing. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. Um, you, know, you appreciate it for what it is. I mean, it's it's hand drawn animation. It brought the craft of animation back. It's based on an age-old story that's much, much, much darker than the actual animated oh, film. Oh yeah, uh, and 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 you can't you can't have a conversation about about Little Mermaid without talking about Howard Ashman and just his and of course Alan Menken. I mean, the two yeah. of them. I mean, the the music that they brought to this. And again, I know you're not a documentary guy, but if you have not had a chance to watch the documentary on Disney Plus called Howard, it it it's all about his life and, and you know how he contracts AIDS and everything, but it's all interwoven with all the stuff that he's done over the years. And this plays a huge part of it because the, I, well, the, 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 the documentary, and I, I agree, the documentary argues basically if it wasn't for the efforts of Howard Ashman, um, little mermaid would not have been a success. The different things that he put into this movie in terms of songs, Holy smokes. Yeah, well, and and that was the other thing that really catapulted this movie. I mean, you think about the movies that predated this one. Mm-hmm. There's not songs in them. I mean, mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh has the opening song, and Robin Hood has a song that's really not really that fantastic. Um, uh, they would play it on the Disney Store DVD, and it was love. It seems like only yesterday. And I was like, what in the world is this? <laughs> um, it is important to call out, too, that this is the last Disney feature film uh, in in its canon to use that traditional hand-painted cell method of animation. Um, after this movie, they go to a digital coloring process. So starting with Rescuers Down Under, they use a, a digital method. So when you watch it, you can definitely see there's a different look to it compared to the other movies of the nineties. Like the other movies of the nineties have almost, it's more of a solid type of color. I don't know how to describe it, but I know, you know what I'm talking about. No, absolutely. I mean, so, 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 I mean, they, they didn't necessarily, they, this was the beginning of them probably trying to reinvent the wheel as well, but, you know, kind of hearkening back to what they used to do. But yeah, I mean, the, the the music just knocks it out of the park where, um, you know, all these songs are are absolute gold. I mean, Part of Your World is one of the, a lot of people would say one of the greatest songs ever. Under the Sea is amazing. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. Wish I could be part of that world. Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Poor unfortunate souls. So it, it, it just like the the animation and, and with how good it looks, with all the vibrant colors. Like I mean, Ariel's red hair is 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 just a yeah. great color. Oh, the That's way a weird they do thing her to say, but it is. Amazing. Oh yeah, no, it's hundred yeah. percent. Um, so um, it, 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 I, I it all just found really something that's that supports what I was saying earlier about the video release. So I'm going to read this to you. This is right on their Wikipedia page. And then in a then atypical and controversial move for a new Disney animated film, the little mermaid was released as part of the Walt Disney classics line of VHS laser discs, laser discs, laser disc 
Betamax, and Video 8 home video releases in May 1990, only six months after the release of the film. Before The Little Mermaid, only a select number of Disney catalog animated films had been released to home video as the company was afraid of upsetting its profitable practice of theatrically reissuing the film every few years. The Little Mermaid became that year's top-selling title on home video with over 10 million units sold, including 7 million in its first month. The home video release, along with the box office and merchandise sales, contributed to The Little Mermaid generating a total revenue of $1 billion. Wow. That's absolutely bonkers. But I mean, this, this was the age of the VCR and home, like home video was, was a huge thing and building that collection. So, uh, I mean, and I want to say this was also one of the first pre-sales that Disney store did. You know, this is the beginning 1989 is also the beginning of the Disney store. And what was it? A bubble watch that they gave with the DVD sale or the, not the DVD VHS sale. What was that one more time? Um, it was, it was bubble watch that they gave uh, uh, with a, like the purchase, the, the free gift that you got if you pre-ordered it. I think it was a bubble watch or something like that. Back in 1989. I don't know. How would you even know that? Um, we got those when Disney store celebrated 30 years, we got those cards and that was one of the facts on them, I believe. You must. I didn't read the card, so uh, I'll let you be the. I'll let you be the factor of the cards. <laughs> Hang on, I'm keep vamp for a little bit. I'm gonna go fact check, and I'm I'm sitting right oh, next to him. My so goodness gracious, uh, Matt is. You gotta love Matt, guys. You gotta love Matt for that. Bubble watches. So yeah, just so everyone knows, whenever Disney Store releases um, uh, uh, DVDs or, or pre-sales, they always give away something. It's usually like what are called lithographs, but bubble watches. <laughs> How yes, he remembers on. this stuff, I'll never know. He's yeah, okay, he's cycling through his cards right now. Yeah, so you I'm heard gonna... me bang my knee on the door. Hang on. I know this is maybe I'm just okay. Oh, yeah, here we go. Okay, yes, here we go. <laughs> All right. The 1989 release of The Little Mermaid was soon followed by the first Disney Store pre-sale in May 1990. In these pre, you know, used to get lithographs, or we still do, in these pre-lithograph days, guess who pre-purchased the video received a bubble watch? Okay. If you have a bubble watch out there, please take a picture of it and post it in our social media group. I would love to see what this thing looks like. Is there a picture of the pic- bubble watch in the card? There is. I, I, w- I will post it on, on the on the socials when this episode drops so you can look at that. Yes. So All right. why anyway. I remembered that fact, who knows? <laughs> is there anything else you want to add about The Little Mermaid before we wrap up? Um, this is a weird piece of trivia. Um, so the weird trivia fact. Do you know the name of the shark? It's never uttered in the movie, but he does have a name. I do not know. His name is Glut. Glut the shark. Glut the shark. No, I did. I did not know that. I do know there's a couple pieces of Disney trivia around it. For example, that Mickey, Goofy, and Donald make an appearance in the crowd scene when King Triton is addressing the citizens of Atlantica. Did you know that? I did. And I believe Kermit the Frog is also in that one as well. I've not heard of Kermit. I knew the, the three were in there. So that that's yeah, same, same, same idea. It's just like Kermit the Frog's in there. Um, and I, then I, there I was a theory. And then there was a theory floating around, although with Frozen 2, it, it put that theory to rest that the shipwreck that she explores was the shipwreck of um, Anna and Elsa's mother and father. But obviously Frozen 2 put that theory to rest because they did not end up traveling the seas. They ended up going up to um, 
the sacred place I, whose name is escaping me. So, but that was connected for a while and the filmmakers were not saying no and they were really saying yes. So it was kind of a interesting little rumor mill for a while. So, all right, it's closing time. How do they get a hold of us, Mr. Matt? You can send us an email, beersandears1928 at gmail.com. You can join up our Facebook page, Beers and Ears Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at beersears1928. And um, as always, uh, please rate and review us. If you have not taken a moment to do that, we would we would very much appreciate that. Um, tell your friends about us. We're um, fast approaching our one year anniversary, and uh, we thank you for being on this ride. We're gonna we're gonna continue going, but we we are so appreciative of all of you listeners out there. Do you know what Scuttle refers to as email? I don't. No. So, uh, what, un, un, you know, just like he calls a fork a dingle hopper, he calls emo a finger bopper. All right. Anyway, <laughs> let's raise our glasses. <laughs> and this episode has been on us. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for letting us be part of Good night, Bye-bye. everybody. <laughs>